what's up everybody welcome to the american experience i'm your host ernesto palomino uh once again real appreciative of all the listeners everybody that's been out there following me and um thank you for the for the positive feedback and we'll try to definitely bring you some really quality content as we're opening up the year just to open things off um i'm gonna go ahead and put it out there i i had covid and getting through it was not a pleasant experience um and I had a real personal friend of mine, a real good buddy of mine that I grew up with, um, reach out to me. You know, he he's you know he's in the medical in the medical industry. You know, he was gracious enough to make the time today, and I really appreciate the fact that he that he did make the time from his busy schedule. He he's my personal friend, real good, uh, been friends for a minute. So you know, when people talk about you know we known each other from like middle school on or high school and on, he yeah, I mean I know him went through some, uh, we've gone through some, a lot of memorable, you know, times. And, and, and so anyway, uh, I just appreciative of where he is now. And, and definitely he's one of the voices that I, I lean on as, a, as, as, you know, an advisor at times. Um, big brother kind of, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I want to welcome uh, my personal friend, Tony Espinosa to the show. Uh, to me, he's just Tony, but, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go ahead and open up the door so he can... Uh, he can uh, introduce himself. Uh, Tony, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for uh, having me on the show. And I do apologize. It's been a long, long time coming. Uh, congratulations, first and foremost, on, on your show. And, Thank you. Uh, see you doing a lot of big things. And I just want to say that, you know, as a friend, I'm very proud of you and everything that you've accomplished so far. And man, I appreciate um, that. You know, you're very well on your way, brother. Um, Thank you. Thank you. But to your audience, you know, my name is Tony Espinoza. Uh, I'm an adult uh, gerontology nurse practitioner. I currently hold a dual master's degree um, from the University of Texas. Uh, I have a one degree is in uh, healthcare administration, and then my other degree is in as a practitioner. Um, I work for one of the biggest uh, hospital systems in North Texas. I currently hold the position of a ECMO specialist. Uh, it's a specialized type of therapy that we currently do. Um, for for patients who uh, are in need of uh, cardiac support or pulmonary support, um, for those uh, people that are out there that that know this realm, um, it's one of those things. that's kind of like last ditch effort for you know to try to help people um, fight whatever issues they may have. And in context with uh, what's going on right now with COVID and um, and things like that. Uh, it's become a, a hot topic uh, in the latest trend of, of therapies that we do as an advanced therapy for uh, this unfortunate uh, <clears throat> illness that, that has plagued the, the entire world, honestly, and obviously it is pretty hard here in the United States. Um, uh, I, I do want to say the disclaimer, I'm by no means a, a scientist or an expert in, in, this, in this realm. Uh, everything that I will comment is strictly just on personal opinion, uh, Ernesto wanted me to come on the show and just kind of help maybe break down some of the stuff and some of the questions that the general public may have, um, anything with the disease process and things like that and the things that we're seeing in the hospital, you know, from a uh, healthcare provider. And, um, you know, today I guess we'll talk about things that, you know, how it has affected, I guess, him personally and just uh, what we're seeing in the hospital setting um, the economy, uh, education, life and values, uh, how it's affected like social life and, um, and moving forward, you know, what the country is doing to try to 
alleviate some of these issues, you know, with the vaccines and things like that. But uh, again, um, this is completely personal opinion. Um, I'm not an expert, like I said, but, you know, uh, I'm hoping that this helps anyone out there that's listening. Um, just make sense of it, maybe, you know, and help them out uh, in any kind of way to, to learn and understand what we're facing and going through. Man, thanks. Thank you again. Um, no, and yeah, just to our listeners, once again, this is our our conversation based upon, you know, our, our, our experiences. And also, you know, we definitely don't want to tell anybody to do anything that, you know what I'm saying? It's just, this This is strictly, you know, our our perspective. It's not, you sure. know, set in stone to, to tell people to do anything or procedures in any way. Um, yeah. So taking it back to to kind of uh, where, where our conversation last, well, it began was basically what I went through. Um, so, you know, back in December, the week of, of leading up to Christmas, um, my, me and my girl caught COVID, you know, and I, I got it way worse than she did, but I can only tell you on, on the symptom side, you know, she was running and gunning was just like nothing. Even after we had been, been swabbed, she was, she was maybe experiencing a little bit of headaches, but for the most part, she was like up and going, up and going, you know, and which I was thankful for, man, because you know, I was, I was the one that was basically depleted, man. So had it not been for her, you know, good, man. She, she kind of, she definitely held it down, kept the house in order and, and just kind of was even while still working from home. man. so, you know, big ups to her for, for holding that down. Um, on my end, man, just kind of the things that I, I went through was, you know, I had the fever, I got the chills, the, the headaches, you know, um, dude, I had like muscle spasms, um, mind fog, um, you know, it's just total attack, man. Like, I just could not tell you, man. Like, you know, when, when I first got the symptoms, it was more of a, I got the fever and then came home and I was like, well, you know, got to quarantine, do what I got to do. And definitely, man, I, you know, just made sure that I wasn't out there, you know, exposing people or anything. But in any case, you know, I the first two days was mostly fever and sleeping. Um, but when day four, definitely the worst of it was day four through eight, um, where, you know, I'm like in and out of sleep, you know, waking up and, and just no, just not wanting to do anything, man. It was a task just to get up, to go to the bathroom, a task just to get up and, you know, get the body moving a little bit. It just, it was not pleasant, man. And yeah. fortunately enough, man, even though I went through that experience, you know, once, you know, we had a chance to talk, man, um, even then you, you mentioned that my symptoms would have still been considered mild. And I'm thankful that I didn't have to, I didn't have any respiratory issues or neither one of us did. And you know, we, we still were like hanging in there, you know, I lost my sense of taste and smell, which, you know, I'm barely now kind of getting back. Um, but I have to say, you know, I really relied on a lot on like just the home remedies, you know, the teas, um, over the counter stuff, uh, just things that kind of would help kind of flush stuff out. And, um, just talking to other people, you know, their symptoms were mildly a little different, um, some of them kind of lived in the bathroom, <laughs> TMI, but I fortunately didn't have to. I, I wasn't going through the through the vomiting or anything like that. Mine was mostly like, 
just dehydration, a lot of like mental fog, like I said, some, you know, just pain, muscle pains. But, you know, once day 10 came, I, you know, I, I seemed like I, I broke through through the fever and, and that type of those those just, you know, depleting symptoms um, where now it was like, OK, I feel like I'm getting myself back to a place of normalcy, basically. And um, the cravings were starting to come back a little bit. So I knew that I was kind of over on the other side now because I started eating a little bit more outside of soups. I was eating the solids again. Um, and now and for the first time getting what I would consider restful sleep. Um, I think when sometimes people think, oh, well, I you sleep the whole time when you're, it's not a restful sleep. It, it's a very kind of considering like you turn off, let's say you pull the plug out on your television. <laughs> That's basically what, what you, you, you dose off. You don't even know how you did. You just black out and black in and, and that's it. At least that was my experience. And it wasn't, it, it was always waking up with a two week headache, man. It was just, it was, it was awful, man. But anyway, um, when you reached out to me, I had just recovered maybe within weeks of it. And so I was still going through the recovery, what I would say the recovery phase of, of, of what I knew my body was responding to. And we dove in as like, hey, dude, so what happened? And I was telling you this and oh, well, you know, I was going through that. And uh, my girl was still kind of dealing with a little bit of the after effect cough because it was kind of flipped. So when when I was in it, she was fine. When I was recovering, she was in it. And so now we're we're both we're both a lot better. But. I just think that from our conversation, I was just like, man, I was like, how lucky we were, you know, based on a lot of the things that you're, you were kind of telling me about and what you're, you're seeing, you know, um, when you, you know, not, you know, you've been in it. So, um, definitely, man. So that, that's, that was kind of my experience. Um, I know some people have told me differently that, you know, some of them just get a headache. Others are like, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad, you know, and, and I get it. Everybody's response to this virus is different. So no way am I diminishing it or am I telling anyone's experience. If you if that's all you had, believe me, you you got you got off light. So you know um, that wasn't personally my experience. So I'm just sharing what what I went through. And so um, I thought it was important to come on and 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 just kind of put that out there. Um, but a segue into you, Tony. Um, you know, kind of dive into a little bit of, of to that that. Uh, I guess the genesis of it, not not necessarily where. Well, obviously, we all know, you know, where it came from, the theories where it could have started, but just kind of uh, talking to a little bit as to how the genesis of it, once it touched down here in the U.S., how that kind of, I guess, spread like wildfire. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's you know, it's uh, been a, a whirlwind of a year, you know, for us. Um, Obviously, you know, there's a lot of uh, myths and rumors and speculations on how this whole thing came about. Um, but, you know, a lot of people out there really don't know, like, the history of how this whole, um, you know, COVID-19 slash coronavirus slash SARS-CoV-2, what we're currently calling it, um, how this whole thing came about and where it developed and all that, you know, but mm -hmm. um, just kind of going by, you know, by the numbers and the things that you kind of piggybacking on what you said, um, you know, the dangerous part of, of this whole thing, man, has been um, <clears throat> the, the, you know, the symptomatology of this whole thing. And, you know, it, it, the symptoms for people vary, you know, from 
mild to no symptoms all the way to severe hospitalized and unfortunately, you know, uh, people dying from it, you know. And so I think it's a, a battle that we're dealing with from all angles, right? You have, uh, you have those people who are firm believers in the science and are taking, you know, all the precautions that they uh, could possibly take to, to you know, evade this, this whole thing. And then there's people out there who downplay, you know, it's, it's uh, danger and uh, really put, put other people's, you know, lives in, in, in danger, you know, and um, it's hard, man, you know, we're, we're proud Americans and, um, you know, we uh, look at our rights and, and exercise them as best as we, we can and want. And, and sometimes, you know, that may turn around and bite us in the butt, but, you know, just to kind of debunk things out there and um, another disclaimer again, most of the information that I will share with you guys today, it's public information. Um, you know, this is just me compiling information statistics out there and kind of bringing them on the show and hopefully do a decent job of breaking things down to where people may be able to understand it. But um, okay. as far as like, you know, when I talked to you last and you were telling me about your symptoms and things like that, we kind of dove into um, the symptoms and how long this stuff kind of lingers and what exactly is it. And, you know, just so, you know, kind of set the record straight, you know, from straight from like the CDC, you know, they, they make a statement saying that, you know, from uh, the moment that you get exposed uh, to the moment that your first symptom begins, on average, you're looking about five to six days before, you know, like by the, you know, five to six days in length when you actually got exposed. So during this, this whole time, um, you know, there's a window of, of you being contagious without you having your symptoms yet. So meaning that by the time you actually got your first symptoms, you could have potentially already exposed a ton of people. And I think that's, that's what has happened, you know, uh, in this past year, you know, why so many people have gotten sick simply because they didn't know they were out there exposing other people, you know? And so, um, on average five to six days again from the time you get exposed to the time you get your maybe first symptom. And then from that point on, uh, what we call the viral load or when the virus is at its peak, um, it's going to be anywhere between um, eight to 14 days or something like that, you know? And so, which is why they tell people to quarantine themselves for a couple of weeks, you know? Um, the idea is that by the time you start feeling better and you start kind of getting back to your normal self, your viral load, um, the amount of virus that's in your body that's left is is dwindling down, you know. And so I think that's the part where, you know, um, hospitalizations, you know, to one extreme come in. And then people, like you said, having mild symptoms like, oh, I lost my taste buds. I you know, got a headache. I got chills. I got fevers. I was in bed. Um, just different different symptoms for different people. The fact of the matter is that, you know, uh, the virus comes and goes in, in as little as, you know, uh, two weeks. Um, the issue is that, you know, the, the, the aftermath that people face um, once the virus is gone. Uh, for a lot of those people that end up in the hospital, it's going to be things like, you know, respiratory failure. You know, when it, it uh, invades the, the lungs and um, essentially shuts the lungs down. Which again, that's part of what my job uh, that I currently um, hold or, or what I do is is when we get people in the in the ICU that are essentially you know their lungs are have shut down and they're in what we call like a multi organ uh, dysfunction. Um, they're essentially 
you know, knocking on the door. Um, we we kind of come in and and use this this ECMO therapy that that I'll talk about, um, and uh, and try to buy him some time more than anything in hopes that we can help him weather the storm and um, help him gain pulmonary recovery um, for the lungs to get better. Um, but you know, just kind of going by the numbers, and this is information that. Updated this morning from uh, the uh, CDC and John Hopkins University, which is a couple of the sources that uh, that I use for um, you know for keep uh, for updates and things like that. But um, you know, currently we have about 27 million cases reported in the U.S. Um, and uh, we're we're nearing about half a million people dead. Where this morning I checked, and we were at 482,000 uh, and some change. I mean. In, in a year's worth, man, that's uh, that it has ravaged us, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a nation. And, um, you know, there's about 2.5 million people uh, around the world that have uh, succumbed to, to this virus. And, and it's just sad, you know, that yeah. Um, yeah. that, you know, we we're, we're facing this pandemic. You know, um, you and I talked about this a while back about, you know, the last time um, a pandemic like with this uh, of this magnitude hit was, you know, um, about 100 years ago, uh, and they reported that maybe close to like 50 million people died, you know, in, in the length of time uh, over the years, you know, from it. And so, again, it's, it's something that, you know, I wish people would take more serious. Uh, you know, I'm in the trenches every day. Yeah. No. I get to see the the, the unfortunate yeah. side of, of this, and, and I'll tell you, it's not pretty, man. Uh, when you talk about you know, um, having a loved one in a hospital where they can't come visit um, and they're fighting for their lives. Uh, some come out of there, some don't. Uh, but even, you know, the other thing you and I talked about, even if they weather the storm and they come out of there, man, um, they're, they're still looking, you know, ahead of, of, of their future, ahead of their life at lifelong issues, you know, um, just from uh, a health standpoint, you know, that they have to, to deal with. You and I talked about this very thing that even after people that had mild symptoms or in your case um, had uh, some pretty significant, you know, like uh, respiratory congestion um, Mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, like after you get back to feeling somewhat normal, there's still a lot of lingering effects that, that, that people feel, you know, two, three weeks, two, three months out. Um, And again, this is, this is so new. We're still, you know, keeping tabs and finding out more and more every day of, the, the things that, you know, that this, this virus is causing and the aftermath that it's leaving behind. And, and it's not pretty, man. I mean, you know, uh, we talk about this at work and some of these people that walk into the hospital with this virus that prior to their hospitalization had um, no previous medical history, completely healthy, young, no issues. Uh, some obviously with issues and comorbidities like hypertension, diabetes, um, things like that. Um, are leaving the hospital um, with uh, severely scarred lungs and, um, you know, end up being COPDers for the rest of their life. And quite frankly, any any professional, medical professional, doctor that you ask out there, uh, I think everybody's in agreement that this has the potential to cut people's life expectancy down by 10, 15 years easily, you know, or have a, a you know, once they start getting up there in age in their 70s and 80s, um, start having, you know, like, issues with their lungs, whether it be like asthma, COPD, breathing difficulties, things like that, you know, and so again, you know, we don't, we don't, 
or attempt to appreciate, you know, how, how bad this is. And, and again, you know, um, you know, if you look at the statistics out there, you know, uh, right now, about 80% of people who have gotten COVID um, get better, right? And so the, the idea is that most people will weather it and get better, but we can't dismiss that other 20%, you know, and if, if we're at half a million people, you know, have lost their lives, I mean, I think that's half a million people too many, you know? No, one's too many, man. <laughs> One is too many, man. You, you have, uh, you have uh, people that, you know, are, and, you know, by age group, right? So you, you, you have the preteen and then you have the young, you know, 20s and then you have the middle, then you start getting into that 25 to 35 bracket and then so forth that, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate, man. Like, you know, you, on the news and even like through other people that I, I, I know that have had cousins and nephews and, you know, in, in their tw- mid twenties, early thirties that it's, it's taken them down, man. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's real, it's really self, I, I would say sobering. Uh, because I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm 37 and just to know it's, that it's a, it's a great point. And that's though, I mean, if you, you know, the, a lot of people, I heard people say, Oh, you know, it only affects old people. Um, but the reality is that the stuff that we're seeing in the hospital setting, man, uh, I'd, I'd say on average, the, the people that are in the hospital are people between the ages of 35 to about 55, right? Right. And so you and I are in that age group, you know? Um, not to say that people younger than that 35 range haven't gotten sick, because I'll tell you, I, I've, I mean, I've had people as young as, you know, 22 years old in the hospital with, with, with you know, COVID and fighting for their life on ventilators and things like that. And so it certainly knows no age, you know? Um, but what, what we have seen, on average is that middle age to older age, you know, uh, person, uh, especially when, when you talk about comorbidities like diabetes, hypertension, you know, which is, you know, high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol, any, any of those triad of, of issues that, that we, we see a lot in the Hispanic community, especially, mm-hmm. um, man, it's, it's one of those things that, it, it's, you know, it takes that opportunity to invade your body and, you know, just to kind of help people understand, you know, um, you know, so obviously people wonder why is it that some people that are healthy die from this and other people who have diabetes, high blood pressure don't or vice versa, people with high blood pressure, diabetes die and young people don't. And the fact is that it's, it's one of those it's a virus, right? And so what it does when it invades your body, if your body is not a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a time where your immune system is the, the most robust and it's at its best, um, it's just, it's one of those opportune things that it finds when you're at it, you know, at your weakest, I suppose, and it just, it takes over. Um, and so, you know, there's all these myths, you know, people out there say, oh, you know, take, drink this, drink that, take vitamins, take this, take that, and that should help you out. And although there's maybe some validity to it, you know, that you can take over-the-counter, you know, vitamins and things like that to, to help your immune system, you really kind of have to, to think about other things, you know? I mean, things as simple as stress, sleep, um, you know, making sure that your your body is, is you know, well-rested and, and 
to have the, the proper amount of sleep. And, you know, I mean, most of us, you know, working Americans, man, there's always some level of stress in our life, you know. Um, you know, just kind of diving in just from the economical standpoint. I mean, think about what this has done to our economy just from, you know, people losing their jobs, you know. Um, retail shops closing doors because obviously everybody's spooked. Um, there's not enough money out there right now circulating to keep businesses open. And so I'll be honest, man, I, I keep up with a lot of the trends and things, you know, people, you know, that get paid to, to you know, kind of research the stuff and, you know, they're, they're forecasting, man, that we might be facing a, a recession in the near future due to this whole lockdown and, and people just kind of staying put and, you know, people just not, not really either spending money or just not having a job, you know. And when you think about how many people, you know, um, foreclosed on their homes or are on the verge of losing their homes and the amount of stress and uh, that that brings to their lives. And again, we just talked about, you know, what, what that, you know, uh, tends to do to people when they're in a in a time where where they're not in full control, you know. I mean, it's a, a perfect time for them to kind of get sick, you know. And so, I mean, I'm sure you see it from your end as well. I imagine, right? Right. I uh, uh, to segue back to to yeah the, the, to that point. Um, I think you hit the nail uh, the nail right on the head. Um, you know, to to go from you know, a, and I'll take it back to 2019 to, to just have that normalcy, you know, through that year. And yeah, okay, well, you know, well, looks like another new year. And then you go through it and then you start hearing that on the news. You're like, ah, you know, it, it's only over there and ain't going to impact us. And man, and to just to see what 2020 turned into from now being able to go freely and, you know about your daily life without thinking about masks and sanitizers and you know um keeping distance from people and don't touch this and being you know uh you know it's just one of those things when that you know when you talk about the financial aspect of it um truly truly man you 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 kind of you're just happy that you you know you're able to turn on the lights man i mean seriously yeah. um and, and the thing is, you you hunker down, and now you're you're you know it it, it it there's potential there for other other variables to to come up. You know the mental aspect of it, obviously, and then you know um, the the physical abuse or the mental verbal abuse that that may happen within families. Man, it's it's uh it's it's just a a way for other things to come to the forefront that. You know, if if had not this happened, you know, it wouldn't, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as rampant. Um, I don't know if I'm out of line for saying that. I really don't mean to be accusatory or in any way dismissive of any of those issues, of course. Um, it's just that, you know, with, you know, COVID coming to and ravaging our, our daily lives, it definitely has taking that those things that we took for granted before uh it brings it under the microscope that much more um one of the things that you just touched on also was um just the fact that you said it doesn't discriminate you know and and truly man i mean it sounds to me from what you were saying is that it's almost like this this virus is just opportunistic right it just sits and waits and it says once it's in your system it's like all right i'm gonna chill i'm just gonna wait and as soon as it sees an opening, I mean, the way that I could best describe it is like it comes for you. 
<laughs> I mean, it, it just comes for you. And I, I don't want to make light yeah. of that, but it really does. Like, it finds your darkest secrets and it just... That's where it attacks you, man. Um, it, it, re it really does, man. And I, and, I will, and I will take it a step further and tell you that, you know, um, what, what we are seeing a lot, and, and this is, again, this is just in my personal, like, network of, of, of you know, colleagues and, and, and experts and, you know, just in, in Metroplex, right, and being from, from Dallas, um, I don't know what other cities or other states uh, are seeing, uh, but at least here in the and the the radius of hospitals and networks that that we work with um the 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 vast majority of, of patients that we're getting that are getting um uh, really really sick from this uh, believe it or not man it's it's affecting the hispanic community a lot more than than and we're giving it credit you know and, and i can tell you that from seeing this firsthand and, and you're absolutely right it doesn't discriminate um but you know if if you really want to kind of talk about what we're seeing. Um, yeah. We're seeing a, a, this affect a lot more Hispanic and African-American people. Um, and if you think about it, you know, uh, Hispanics, you know, uh, and, and African-American people, we, we lead uh, with, with comorbidities, um, with the diabetes, the hypertension, the high cholesterol, right? And so um, there's obviously something to be said about that. And I'm not saying that it, it only affects us, you know, um, but a high volume of, of patients that I've had that I deal with, um, men are, are Hispanic and African-American, you know, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, going back to what we we're talking about, just uh, what what this has done to, to people's, you know, life and values, you know. Um, you know, I think you're right. It, it has really kind of tested uh, people's characters, you know, tested people's relationships uh, with, with their spouses, with their families and things like that. Um, but, you know, I think it's a flight or fight response. It thinks people reacting to, to, to the situation of not being controlled, you know, of their life and how it's kind of downward spiraling and things like that. But, you know, I think the other, the caveat to all that and what it's actually done, you think about it, you know, it's, it's really, it really, really has kind of made people reflect and take a step back. And, um, you know, we've, we've kind of slowed our life down a little bit with being quarantined and, and, and realize that, you know, like when, when things like this happen, we kind of start putting things into perspective, you know, family time, um, you know, and obviously, believe it or not, you know, I think this has pushed us into this, this new realm of creating new habits, you know, like being more creative with our free time and, uh, and what being creative with the, the little things that, that we have control over, you know, um, yeah, right. Uh, right. but it really, really has, you know, at least personally in my personal life, man, uh, you know, being in, in the, in the thick of things like that. Um, and I'll tell you, I get home every day and, uh, I kiss my wife and, and my kids and I tell them how much I, I appreciate them and I love them. And, um, just because, you know, you, you never know, man. Uh, yeah, I, I'm no better than, than you are or than anybody in the general public, man, you know, but, you know, for us healthcare providers, man, we're day in and day out. You know, we're going to the the lines then, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, some people, you know, um, feel like, well, you guys are, you know, protected. You're always wearing the best of the best garments and gears and things like that. And although part of that may be true, it's not always true. You know, I mean, no matter how much garb you may have on, um, you know, you're still susceptible. You know, and um, you talk about, you know, the, the mental health, you know, aspect of this, man, and the toll that, 
it has taken, you know, on, on just Americans and, um, and the, the stuff that they have to deal with. And even for us healthcare providers, man, I think you and I talked about this a, a while back about how, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, there's no, there's no easy day, uh, in the ICU and the intensive care unit for anyone, you know, um, we don't even use that kind of language. A good day, I would say, is when, when everything goes according to plan, um, the therapies that you're providing for your patients are actually working or at the very least, they're not getting any sicker, you know, but there's always those unfortunate times when, you know, people don't do good. Um, and you work all day and all night to, try to save someone's life. And um, after you you leave there and you come home, you know, you're no longer in your, um, you know, work attire or role, if you will. Uh, you have to come home and, and be a dad and be a, uh, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, um, you know, a, a friend. And, and it's tough, man, it's tough for us. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've left work uh, when one of my patients or many of my patients weren't doing well. Um, come home and have to take a shower and uh, attend a family event, um, you know, and where there's happiness and there's things like that. Obviously, this is prior to, to, to COVID, but even even now, you know, coming home and um, being with family and kids and, you know, my, my daughter and my son, you know, um, you know, when dad gets home, they want dad to be dad and, and be fun and have fun and stuff like that. And, you know, I have to, to muster up the courage to to be dad, you know, and, and kind of try to leave work at work, but that kind of stuff takes, takes a mental toll, man. And, you know, you and I talked about a while back, um, you know, suicide rates in the United States and, uh, you know, among the general public and within, you know, the, the healthcare providers and it's a, it's a real thing, man. It really is, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I much respect for sure. Uh, on those fronts, man, we've, we've touched on that and, um, basically because of the fact that I'm like, I come from the, the school of curiosity, man, because I, I don't live in that world. And, and yet I still think, man, if it affects me this much, I'm sure for them it's magnified a hundred times more. And, you know, to me, it's, um, it's, it's just one of those things. I was like, you know, who better to give me a better perspective of that than someone who's in it every day. Um, I wanted to kind of dial it back a little bit um, and, and take us through what the virus does. Um, I know, I mean, from for a science people that kind of, or just curious from just from the normal aspect of like, let's leave everything, all the noise outside for a second. Let's let's just focus on the viruses in your system. How does it? What are you guys seeing that it normally goes for? Like. Does it go for the lungs? Once it's in your system, it lays dormant. And I mean, obviously, you did mention that it, it waits for your for your system to kind of take a dip, whether it's stress related or anything like that. But what are you guys kind of seeing that this is kind of where it's it's attacking? This is how it takes the scores after after it finally leaves you. What does it leave behind? That kind of so that, so taking us through that little process there. Sure. Uh, so. And, and I will tell you that from our standpoint, the stuff that we see in the hospital, uh, most of these patients uh, that come to us um, come with respiratory problems. In other words, uh, the, the virus has affected uh, their lungs. Um, and even, even in the general public, I would say that most people that get symptomatic or actually have symptoms are going to tell you that at some point or another they had 
um, you know, one of one of the, the actual symptoms that people tend to get, right, which uh, most of them are going to get like some kind of fever, a dry cough, right, um, fatigue, headaches, uh, loss of smell and taste, um, congestion, um, muscle uh, or joint pains. Um, some people have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, chills, and dizziness, things like that. Those are pretty much the general symptoms overall. Um, obviously, people are going to have different uh, symptoms, but one of those symptoms you're going to have. Um, it, it, but majority of the people are going to have some kind of respiratory involvement, right? And so the 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 coin term that we use in the hospital uh, for this virus now it's, it's SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so it's an acronym that we use uh, that stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Um, and actually, this term was coined back like in 2013 when we had the original uh, COVID, I guess, um, virus uh, pop up. Um, and it's called SARS-CoV-2 because we've dealt with this, this type of virus in the past. Back in 2013, um, there was a, 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 a cluster of, of severe acute respiratory syndrome cases that, that occurred in China as well, uh, in Guangdong province, like November of 2002, I believe. Um, and so they they identified this this what at the time they considered to be an unknown type of uh, flu like symptoms because you know they would test people um, they would obviously not test positive for flu but it had it mimicked the exact same symptoms so um, by the time everything's said and done they they coined it SARS so fast forward twenty years later or eighteen nineteen years later. You know, we're dealing with this SARS-CoV-2. Again, it's a severe acute respiratory distress. So going back to what we talked about earlier, um, this virus, you know, comes and goes just like the flu, right? But but it's the, the ravaging effects that it leaves behind. And, you know, just from an actual scientific standpoint, what, what happens is that your the virus invades your body, um, attacks your lungs, and there's a, a, a severe acute response in your lungs um, that uh, inflammation sets in. Uh, why is that important? It's important because uh, that that is the very nature of how you are able to, to breathe and, and create gas exchange, you know. Your heart beats, circulates blood through your, your lungs, and your lungs uh, exchange the carbon uh, from that, you know, you're essentially excelling and switching it for oxygen. So it's like this Ferris wheel effect, right? Um, every time you take a deep breath in, um, there's chemical things that are going on in your body that allow, you know, the, the blood to extract the oxygen from the lungs and dump out uh, the CO2 that you actually excel. So uh, it's a very fascinating uh, uh, thing that that the body does, you know, and a lot of times we don't really pay attention to it. One, you know, it's because we don't tend to really kind of dive into to things like that and try to understand. Uh, but for those in the healthcare community, they, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And so when you talk about a virus that comes in and creates this massive inflammation in your lungs and impedes that oxygen exchange that to happen, um, that is where the danger lies, right? And so this is where people are going to start having symptoms of not being able to breathe. I imagine you may have felt at, at one point or another like you were having a difficult time breathing, whether it was because you got into these coughing spells or just, just had this 
really heavy feeling, you know, about of not being able to breathe and catch your breath, you know, and the, the fatigue that sets in sometimes is related from that. And, and part of it is that you're, you know, the, the oxygenation levels in your body, which if you think about it, your entire body depends on, on, on those lungs to, to supply the oxygen that it needs to, to feed uh, your organs and to, to, for you to, to be able to essentially keep moving and working, you know? Um, and so whenever, whenever that, that gets um, threatened um, and you start having symptoms, uh, that's that's the severity of it, right? And so again, the virus comes and goes, right? Like in maximum fourteen days, it's that aftermath. Because once once this virus has attacked your lungs and this inflammation sets in, um, you you end up in a in a state of what we call ARDS or, or acute respiratory distress syndrome, um, which within itself that process has. A few stages of, of, of your lungs going through through these phases where you're in an acute inflammation state where you know everything is so swollen and inflamed that you're not able to to create gas exchange. Most of these people um, that end up in the hospital is because when they go and they measure their oxygen levels, you know the little pulse oximeter they put on your finger to see what your oxygen is. If if that thing shows that it's less than ninety percent. Um, then, then we consider that to be, you know, uh, a red flag, and we start putting people on supplemental oxygen, um, and it tends to escalate pretty quickly from there. Honestly, you know, I've seen people come in and they're just they're fatigued, they're tired. Um, they put them on a, on an oxygen monitor to see where their oxygen levels are at, and you know, by this point they're down in the 60s and 70s, which at that point it's it's an emergency, right? Mm-hmm. And so we call that um, like this global uh, hypoxia. Um, you're in, in this state of, of oxygen deprivation essentially to your body, and and the fix is to provide oxygen for you. Um, so what happens is we put these patients on oxygen uh, supplemental oxygen, right? So they'll put the little nasal cannula in them and put them on a couple of liters of oxygen. Sometimes it may raise their, raise their oxygen levels a couple of points. You know, sometimes it, it doesn't. Um, and so, you know, they start escalating the therapy, right? So you go up and up and you get to a point where you max out on the amount of oxygen that you can provide somebody with with a simple uh, nasal cannula. Um, they'll switch them over to, to a different type of device. Um, you know, and before you know it, a lot of these people, man, end up with, with tubes in their mouths and on actual uh, ventilators, you know, life support. Um, and even then, man, it's, it's tough because a lot of times, you know, uh, these people don't make it out of the hospital because even if you put somebody on a ventilator, if you, if you break this down and really, really, uh, try to understand how this happens or, or what's going on, you can put somebody on a ventilator, um, and supply them with hundred percent oxygenation. Uh, you can put them on any type of mode, any type of settings that you want on these ventilators to try to force feed the lungs with this oxygen. Um, but sometimes that's not good enough simply because the amount of inflammation that's going on in your lungs is, is just not, you know, um, going to budge and, and allow any of that oxygen to, to do anything. So imagine, you know, trying to uh, blow um, oxygen into, you know, two 
sacks of water. Um, there's, there's nowhere to go. I mean, the, the, the nutrients and stuff that you need to get to the rest of your body, um, it's just, it doesn't get there. And this is the, this is where we come in with this, this ECMO therapy that I, that I've alluded to, alluded to earlier, um, where we essentially, um, put you on, on this therapy and we use a couple of different types of, um, devices and put these, what we call cannulas into, into people's bodies and drain their blood out of their body, run them through these machines where we oxygenate the blood and return it to the body so it can completely bypass the lungs. And, and all that does is, is just provide relief uh, for, the, for the organs, you know, for your brain, for your heart, uh, your kidneys, and just essentially your body. And it, it's, uh, you know, we, we do that in hopes that we can weather the storm and give your lungs enough time to, to rest in hopes that you recover. Um, but just the disease process itself, man, there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, inflammation that takes a while for it to come down. Um, you know, the, uh, steroids that we give antibiotics, um, and, and the problem is, is that the lasting effects, um, when they're in this, what they call ARDS state, um, you know, you, you end up getting into what we call a fibrotic state. In other words, there's so much scarring in your lungs that that's left behind that the, the function of your lungs, your lung function, uh, diminishes quite a bit. How much of that lung function you're going to recover, recover is going to be, uh, dependent and really on, on you and your body and, and how much you're actually going to regain. Uh, I can tell you that most of these people that spend months in the hospital on a ventilator, on our ECMO therapy, uh, even if they make it out of the ICU, uh, again, they end up being lifetime COPDers with um, a lot of you know respiratory problems in their future. Even when they leave in the hospital, they're, they're not leaving 100%, you know, and it's just it's it's one of those things that that it, that it's just not not good, you know. And so, um, for us, you know, we always look at the numbers, and you know, uh, we we consider the the amount of deaths, if you will, that have happened, they're COVID related deaths, right? Because I mean, if you really want to put things into perspective, you know, the virus comes and goes, and once it's gone, it's gone. But people are dying from from the the leftover effects of of the virus, you know, and so. Um, obviously there's a ton of myths out there, you know, like, well, why no, they give antibiotics and, and, and these things. And I think that's the part where sometimes people don't fully understand how this stuff works. Uh, for instance, let's take you for instance, um, you know, you come to the hospital with your symptoms or to the ER, uh, they're, t- they're going to tell you to go home and to just take, um, you know, medicine over the counter stuff for your symptoms. So if you have a cough, they're going to tell you to try to take some kind of cough suppressant. Um, if you have aches, chills, things like that, they're going to tell you to try to take some Tylenol. They're not going to give you any, anabo- any, any antibiotics because antibiotics don't work on viruses. Um, same thing that when people have flu and you go to the doctor, you know, sometimes people get mad because they're not prescribed any antibiotics. But you have to understand how the microbiology of this stuff works and nothing works on viruses. That's why it's been so hard to really fight this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, We'll dive into the, the vaccine in a little while. Uh, but, you know, again, it, it's one of those things. Now, um, do we give antibiotics and steroids and things like that in the hospital setting uh, for these patients? Absolutely. Um, the, the key there is that once they end up in the hospital and they do develop these, these respiratory 
um, issues, uh, the, the, the syndromes and the ARDS and things like that. Now we're looking at, at the, the effects and the aftermath of the virus. Now there's things that we can try to give people to try to help them with these things, uh, like steroids to try to help them with the lung inflammation. And uh, if these people develop, you know, pneumonia-like symptoms and uh, we start collecting uh, samples, sputum samples, or just samples out of their lungs, send them to the lab and see if there's any type of bacteria growing or any type of uh, fungal infection growing. Those are the, the patients that we're going to start giving antibiotics to. You know, we most hospitals have really good uh, infection uh, control doctors, epidemiology doctors. Um, uh, I follow a few doctors on social media that are epidemiologists and um, uh, even within our hospital selling setting rather. Uh, but, you know, just because they're so good at, at explaining these things, you know, and uh, there's so much science out there that you really need people who are experts in, in those fields to, to kind of break things down to you. And uh, once you really try to wrap your mind on this stuff and, and understand it, it makes perfect sense, you know. Uh, but yeah, man, so everything, you know, it, it's really based on on the symptoms and then the aftermath of, of what this, this thing does, you know. And so, um, you know, people continue to fight for their lives. They're, they're doing as much as they can. Um, but I, I will tell you, you know, the, the mortality rate uh, on this virus is, is pretty, pretty high once you end up in the hospital on a ventilator, you know. Uh, we just had dinner with a, a couple of friends of ours. Um, one of them uh, is a respiratory therapist at uh, at one of the area hospitals, and um, she's you know she made a comment said that she might have seen maybe three people um, extubated, meaning that they actually managed to, to to wake them up and get this tube out. Still had a lot of issues, but you know, and she's like, I had to at least in the in the past six months seen at least a hundred people, um, you know, with this thing and maybe only three of them, you know, uh, were able to, to be awakened and taking the tube out. So I mean, that, that, that speaks volumes, you know, yeah. how many people have, have not survived this, you know, and, you know, most people out there either know somebody, um, that, that succumbed to, to this, this virus, uh, or hit close to home, whether it was a relative, uh, mom, dad, uncle, brother, or someone's friend, you know. Um, I know it, within our family, we we've, we've lost a couple of, of people, you know. And so, um, I, I have a lot of respect, man, for for for, for the stuff that's going on, and uh, I try to to do my part to to educate friends and family. And and again, whenever you you told me uh, about coming on the show and just kind of speaking to the audience and just kind of help break this thing down, man, I. I jumped on it just because, again, I'm not an expert, but if in any way I can help people try to understand what, what this looks like, you know, and make help them make an um, educated uh, decision or just at least to think about it, you know, and, and, and really put things into perspective. No, I, uh, man, you know, uh, for those that are listening, you know, I, I hope that, you know, the, the notes, if you are taking notes or any advice that you're kind of, you know you've been receiving before by other people and just know that you know the little that you can help whether it's by you know maintaining those cleaning and and those tips that you know you're washing your hands and and cleaning the the, the areas that you frequent in and you know just you know it's just 
any little bit helps, you know, and, and, and for the sake of your own health, you know, and, and practice it even before all this, you know, to, to make sure that hygienic, you know, those hygienic little tips are, are, could make the difference between you being incubated or, you know, or just overall just feeling sick, you know, it's just, those little decisions are what make the big difference, um, in my opinion. Um, one thing I did want to ask you too was, you know, when, when this first, uh, the news started talking about, you know, COVID hitting the States and when they were, um, recognizing, um, cases, um, when the first case that hit, that you had to be in charge of, did you, were you fearful? Were you, I mean, I don't know, man, like I have to admit, you hear all this stuff in the news and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, like I got to deal with COVID patients now. What was the fear there, man? Like, what was the fear of the unknown? Did you go into it with like, okay, let me deal with facts. Let me see what I have to do. I'm sure you have a team of, of just knowledgeable people that are are saying, hey guys, don't freak out. This is what it is. This is what we're seeing. This is the 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 way to treat. You know how we're going to approach treatment. Man, that's a that's a very very good question. Um, and so, uh, as far as the, the fear factor goes, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you, um, Sorry there, about that. Go ahead. there's, um, you know, there's a lot of things, obviously, that, that go on in, in the healthcare industry uh, that the general public are not privy to simply because, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that, that there's collaborations going on every single day across the world uh, with, with doctors and things like that, right? Um, uh, the group of doctors that, that I work with, uh, that we do this, this therapy, um, one of the doctors, uh, uh, we're in this collaborative, if you will, uh, around the world uh, with, with European doctors uh, within the States and things like that. And um, we, we always, in the, in the healthcare community, we use the, the term using uh, evidence-based practices, uh, meaning that we're using things that that have shown by evidence and research that they they tend to work right, and so whenever this this thing started happening and um, you know we started hearing uh, how how much it was affecting you know uh, you know other countries and things like that, we really you know I think in, in the healthcare community we we had this tremendous respect for you know what what was coming essentially. Um, I don't know that, that as a general population, we did. Obviously, there was a ton of media co coverage on it, you know, and but we, we just didn't know enough about it, right? Um, and if you recall uh, how bad it hit uh, New York and New Jersey. I do. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that was just the, the, the beginning, right? Um, around that time when you started getting cases reported, like in California, you know, one or two here and there. Um, and then New York, and if you go back and look at the the rate at which the the spike grew, uh, it, it was just it, it was phenomenal, man. To be honest with you, uh, not in a good way, obviously, but I think the the fear factor for us set in when you know we again we get in get on these calls or the doctors that I work with get on these calls, international calls, video conferences, and things like that. You know what 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 are they doing and things like that and whenever you hear um you know uh, medical doctors 
and, and scientists and experts and then these fields that they've been experts in for years and years and done a ton of research. Whenever you hear their tone of voice um, and the fear of the things that they're seeing and the things that they're not able to do because they've run out of equipment because they can't provide you know, enough rescue help to people fast enough, um, and they're crying essentially on these conferences warning us, you know, like, you guys get ready because it's, it's coming, and, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of tell you, and you, again, you hear these things in the general public, and you hear rumors, and people say this, but whenever you hear that, they're having to essentially, you know, pick who they're going to put people, you know, the people they're going to put on ventilators, uh, or having to take, you know, a 65-year-old off the ventilator because a 25 or 30 year old needs it. Um, that that's a you know a, a punch in the gut, man, and it's a a reality check to that tells you like we're at this point where now we're not even able to give people the time that they need to try to weather this to see if they're going to do good. Um, I know like in Europe they they were they were, they ran out of ventilators. There's people dying left and right in the ERs and things like that because they didn't have enough. And the, the mental talk, I mean, I can't even fathom or imagine what what that did to, to a lot of those healthcare providers, man. Um, but you know, just bringing it home here in the United States, uh, remember you know being on, on conference calls and uh, or hearing through some of our our colleagues that. You know, uh, New York, uh, a lot of the hospitals there were um, renting or, or getting like the 18-wheeler freezers because their morgue in the hospital was exhausted and full of, of bodies. And now they were having to put them in these like, you know, 18-wheeler freezers outside in the back dock. And, um, you know, that, that man, like when you think about stuff like that, I mean, it's it's not good, man. It's bad, you know. And so... Um, it's, it's one of those things that, that we try to prepare, but again, you're talking about something unlike we've ever faced. And though the, something similar happened, you know, a hundred years ago, it, it was, it's nothing like we've ever seen, you know? And so when we first got our first case, um, I, I will say that we were as prepared as we possibly could be um, with the limit of, limited amount of resources. Um, anywhere from, you know, to, to gloves, to, to masks. Um, and I'll be honest with you, man, I, you know, we've, we've done some things that, you know, uh, obviously are not recommended in terms of like our personal protective equipment, which is our PPE, things like gowns and masks and things like that. Not because, you know, the, the hospital wanted to put us in harm's way or anything, but it's because simply because the, the supply and demand did not match. Um, hospitals around the world uh, got ravaged by by this, and you know, so we got to a point where our equipment we were reusing masks, things that the manufacturer says don't use this more than once. Um, gloves we never really had to use more than once, um, but we ran out of gowns. So then they started, you know, giving us um, these reusable gowns. Um, you know, they washed them, I guess, as best as they could or felt, you know, that was safe enough. Uh, but just the simple fact with masks, you know, so 
every time I'd hear people say, well, you guys are protected. You guys have the best equipment, things like that. It, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's a slap in our face, right? Because it's like, well, you guys don't really understand what we're honestly going through, you know, the things that we're seeing, uh, where we're using masks that are not intended to be reused. So how much protection is it actually providing? Uh, most of us went out and bought our personal N95 masks, um, painter's masks. Um, if you recall, you couldn't find any filters anywhere in, in, in stores and um, people that did have them were price gouging. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, um, man, it, it, it sounded the alarm very loud. So um, I will tell you, man, this, this last year, uh, healthcare community probably feel the exact same. They, that you feel like 10 years of your life just kind of came and went simply because the amount of hours that we've put into to, to caring for people and the sleep deprivation. Um, and man, I, you know, just me personally, man, I, you know, I, I, you know, I know what I signed up for. Right. But at the same time, like as a father, as a husband, my fear was always my wife, my kids. So when I tell you that, you know, I did my best to try to stay as clean as possible at the hospital um, and then change uh, out of the, the scrubs and things like that that I wear at the hospital. I'd come home and I literally stripped down in the garage, um, walked into the house, go straight to the shower and literally showered and tried to do a good job of decontaminating myself so that by the time I, you know, was able to, to come to my family, um, I felt that I was not putting them in any risk or, or in harm's way, you know. And again, I think there's a lot of people out there that, that feel the exact same way, man. And so you can imagine just just that that stress just for, for us personally, you know. Yeah. Um, seeing some of my colleagues fall ill uh, to this very thing, to the very, you know, with the very patients that they took care of. Um, I mean, you've, you've heard it around the, the, the world and the United States, how many doctors and nurses succumb to, to this virus because they contracted it a while, being at work, caring for, for patients and things like that. And again, you know, uh, you know, people will say, well, that's what you guys signed up for. And it's like, well, no, we didn't sign up for this, but you're right. It's part of our obligation to, to, to render aid to people and do that, things like that. But it's, it's hard on us too, you know? Join us next week as we continue our discussion on COVID-19 with Tony Espinosa on The American Experience with Ernesto Palomino.